Chapter 11 Steps to Repentance Part 1 Finally, I will lay out some rules or steps that lead to repentance. The first step to repentance is serious consideration. I considered my ways and turned my feet to your testimonies. Psalm 119, verse 59. The prodigal, when he came to his senses, seriously considered his outrageous luxuries, and then he repented. Peter, when he thought of Christ's words, wept. There are certain things that, if they were well considered, would make us turn off a path of sin. First, seriously consider what sin is. There is certainly enough evil in it to make us repent. There are, in sin, these twenty evils. 1. Every sin is a withdrawal from God. Jeremiah 2, verse 5. God is the supreme good and our blessing comes through union with Him. But sin, like a strong bias, draws away the heart from God. The sinner leaves God behind. He bids farewell to Christ and mercy. Every step forward in sin is a step backward from God. They have abandoned the Lord. They have turned away from Him. Isaiah 1, verse 4. The farther one goes from the sun, the nearer he gets to darkness. The further the soul goes from God, the nearer it gets to misery. 2. Sin is a walking hostility to God. Leviticus 26, verse 27. The same word in Hebrew signifies both to commit sin and to rebel. Sin is God's opposite. If God is of one mind, sin will be of another. If God says, Keep the Sabbath holy, Sin says, desecrate it. Sin strikes at God's very being. If sin could help it, God would be no longer God. Stop speaking before us about the Holy One of Israel. Isaiah 30, verse 11. What a horrible thing this is for a prideful piece of dust to rise up in defiance against its Maker. 3. Sin is an injury to God. It violates his laws. It is grievous high treason. What greater injury can be offered to a prince than to trample on his royal edicts? A sinner treats the statute laws of heaven with contempt. They threw your law behind their backs, Nehemiah 9, verse 26, as if they were disgusted to look at it. Sin robs God of his due. You injure a man when you do not give him what he is owed. The soul belongs to God. He lays a double claim to it. It is his both by creation and by purchase. But sin steals the soul from God and gives the devil that which rightly belongs to God. 4. Sin is profound ignorance. The schoolmen say that all sin is founded in ignorance. If men knew God in His purity and justice, they would not dare continue in sin. They proceed from evil to evil, and they do not know me, declares the Lord, Jeremiah 9, verse 3. In this way, ignorance and lust are linked, 1 Peter 1, verse 14. Ignorance is the womb of lust. Mist often arises in the night. 
the black mists of sin arise most often in a dark, ignorant soul. Satan casts a mist before a sinner so that he does not see the flaming sword of God's wrath. The eagle first rolls in the sand and then flies at the stag. Then, by fluttering its wings, it throws dust in the stag's eyes so that it cannot see, and then it strikes it with its talons. In the same way, Satan, that eagle or prince of the air, first blinds men with ignorance and then wounds them with his darts of temptation. Is sin ignorance? There is great reason to repent of ignorance. 5. Sin is an act of desperation. In every transgression a man puts his own soul at risk. He walks along the edge of the bottomless pit. Foolish sinner, any sin you commit may be the one that undoes your soul forever. When someone drinks poison, it is a wonder if it does not cost him his life. One taste from the forbidden tree cost Adam paradise. One sin of the angels cost them heaven. One sin of Saul cost him his kingdom. For the next willful sin you commit, God may allow you to be locked up as a prisoner among the damned. You who gallop on in sin cannot be certain whether God will spare your life a day longer or give you a heart to repent. You put yourself at desperate risk. 6. Sin smears the sinner with filth. In James 1, verse 21, it is called filthiness. The Greek word signifies the putrid discharge of ulcers. Sin is called an abomination. Deuteronomy 7, verse 25. Indeed, in the plural, abominations, Deuteronomy 20, verse 18, KJV. This filthiness of sin is inward. A spot on the face may easily be wiped off, but to have the liver and lungs be tainted is far worse. Sin is a pollution. It has gotten into mind and conscience, Titus 1, verse 15. It is compared to a menstrual cloth, Isaiah 30, verse 22, KJV, the most unclean thing under the law. A sinner's heart is like a field spread with dung. Some think of their sin like an ornament, but no, it is an excrement. Sin so smears a person with filth that God cannot stand the sight of him. My soul was impatient with them. Zechariah 11, verse 8. 7. In sin there is horrible ingratitude. Sinner, God has fed you with the food of angels. He has crowned you with a variety of mercies, and yet you go on in sin? As David said of Nabal, It is certainly for nothing that I have guarded everything that this man has. 1 Samuel 25, verse 21. Likewise, God has done so much for the sinner, and has it been for nothing. All God's mercies may admonish and even accuse the ungrateful person. God may say, I gave you intelligence, health, and riches, and you have used all these against me. It was I who gave her the grain, the new wine, and the oil, and lavished on her silver and gold, which they used for Baal. Hosea 2, verse 8. I sent in provisions, and they served their idols with them. 
The snake in the fable which was frozen stung the one who brought it to the fire and gave it warmth. In the same way, a sinner turns around to sting God with his own mercies. Is this your loyalty to your friend? 2 Samuel 16, verse 17 Did God give you life so that you could sin? Did he give you wages to serve the devil? 8. Sin is a degrading thing. It robs a person of his honor. I will prepare your grave, for you are contemptible. Nahum 1, verse 14. This was spoken of a king. He was not vile by birth, but by sin. Sin stains our name, taints our blood. Nothing so changes a man's glory into shame as sin. It is said of Naaman that he was a great man, but afflicted with leprosy. 2 Kings 5, verse 1. No matter how great a man may be in the eyes of the world, if he is wicked, he is a leper in God's eyes. To boast of sin is to boast of that which is our disgrace as if a prisoner would boast of his chains or be proud of the noose around his neck. 9. Sin does damage. In every sin there is infinite loss. No one has ever thrived by grazing on this grass. What does one lose? He loses God. He loses his peace. He loses his soul. The soul is a divine spark lit by heaven. It is the glory of creation. And what can counteract this loss? Matthew 16, verse 26. If the soul is gone, the treasure is gone. Therefore, in sin, there is infinite loss. Sin is in such a bad trade that whoever makes it is sure to be ruined. Number 10. Sin is a burden. For my guilty deeds have gone over my head. Like a heavy burden, they weigh too much for me. Psalm 38, verse 4. The sinner walks with weights and chains on himself. The burden of sin is always worst when it is felt the least. Sin is a burden wherever it comes. Sin burdens God. I am pressed under you as a cart is pressed that is full of sheaves. Amos 2, verse 13, KJV. Sin burdens the soul. What kind of weight did Spira feel? The conscience of Judas was burdened so much that he hanged himself to quiet his conscience. Those who know what sin is will repent that they carry such a burden. 11. Sin is a debt. It is compared to a debt of 10,000 talents. Matthew 18, verse 24. Of all the debts we owe, our sins are the worst. With other debts, a sinner may flee the country to try to escape them, but with sin he cannot. Where can I flee from your presence? Psalm 139, verse 7. God knows where to find all his debtors. Death frees a man from other debts, but it will not free him from this. It is not the death of the debtor, but of the creditor that settles this debt. 12. There is deceitfulness in sin. Hebrews 3, verse 13. A wicked person earns deceptive wages. Proverbs 11, verse 18. 
sin is nothing but a cheater. While it pretends to please us, it tricks us. Sin does as Jael did. First she brought the milk and butter to Sisera, and then she struck the nail through his temple so that he died. Judges 5 verse 26. First sin entices, and then it kills. First it is a fox, and then it is a lion. Sin betrays everyone it kills. Those locusts in Revelation are the perfect symbols and emblems of sin. On their heads appeared to be crowns like gold, and their faces were like human faces. They had hair like the hair of women, and their teeth were like the teeth of lions. They have tails like scorpions and stings, and in their tails is their power to hurt people. Revelation 9 verses 7 through 8 and 10. Sin is like the extortioner who feeds a man money and then makes him mortgage his land. Sin feeds the sinner with delightful things and then makes him mortgage his soul. Judas was pleased with the thirty pieces of silver, but they proved to be deceitful riches. Ask him now how he likes his bargain. 13. Sin is a spiritual sickness. One man is sick with pride, another with lust, another with malice. It is for a sinner the same way it is for a sick patient. His palate is confused, and the sweetest things taste bitter to him. Likewise, the word of God, which is sweeter than the honeycomb, tastes bitter to a sinner. They substitute sweet for bitter. Isaiah 5 verse 20. And if sin is a disease, it is not to be cherished, but instead cured by repentance. 14. Sin is a bondage. It binds a man as an apprentice to the devil. Of all conditions, enslavement is the worst. Every man is held by the cords of his own sin. I was held before conversion, said Augustine, not by an iron chain, but by the stubbornness of my will. Sin is arrogant and tyrannical. It is called a law, Romans 8, verse 2, because it has such a binding power over a man. The sinner must do what sin orders him to do. He does not so much enjoy his lusts as serve them, and it takes a lot of work to gratify them all. I have seen princes walking like slaves on the land, Ecclesiastes 10, verse 7. The soul, that princely thing, which once sat on a throne and was crowned with knowledge and holiness, is now made a servant to sin and runs the devil's errands. 15. Sin spreads corruption. It does damage not only to the sinner himself, but also to others. One man's sin may cause many to sin, as one beacon being lit may cause all the beacons in the country to be lit. One man may help to defile many. A person who has the plague going into a crowd does not know how many will be infected with the plague because of him. You who are guilty of open sins do not know how many have been infected by you. For all you know, there may be many now in hell crying out that they would never have gotten there if it had not been for your bad example. 16. 
Sin is a frustrating thing. It brings trouble with it. The curse God placed on the woman is truly placed on every sinner. In pain you shall deliver children. Genesis 3, verse 16. A man troubles his thoughts by plotting sin. And when sin is conceived, he gives birth to it in sorrow and pain. Like one who puts forth a great deal of effort to open a floodgate, when he has opened it, the flood overtakes him and drowns him. In the same way a man beats his brains to dream up a way to sin, and then it aggravates his conscience, brings death to his estate, and rots the walls and timbers of his house. Zechariah 5 verse 4 17. Sin is an absurd thing. Is there any greater indiscretion than to do what pleases your enemy? Sin gratifies Satan. When lust or anger burn in the soul, Satan warms himself by the fire. Men's sins are a feast for the devil. Samson was called out to entertain and amuse the lords of the Philistines. Judges 16 verse 25. Likewise, the sinner entertains the devil. It is food and drink to him to watch men sin. He laughs when he sees them risking their souls for the world, as if one would gamble diamonds to win straws or fish for carp with golden hooks. Every wicked man will be charged as a fool on the day of judgment. 18. There is cruelty in every sin. With every sin you commit, you stab your own soul. When you are kind to sin, you are cruel to yourself, like the man in the Gospel of Mark who cut himself with stones. Mark 5, verse 5. The sinner is like the jailer who drew a sword to kill himself. Acts 16, verse 27. Naturalists say the hawk chooses to drink blood rather than water. In the same way, sin drinks the blood of souls. 19. Sin is a spiritual death, dead in your offenses and sins, Ephesians 2, verse 1. Augustine said that before his conversion, reading of the death of Dido, he could not keep from weeping. But wretch that I was, he said, I cried over the death of Dido, forsaken by Aeneas, and did not weep over the death of my soul, forsaken by God. The life of sin is the death of the soul. A dead man has no awareness. An unregenerate person has no awareness of God in him. Ephesians 4 verse 19. Persuade him to consider his salvation? Why do you make speeches to a dead man? Try to reprimand him for his vice? Why do you scold the dead man? He who is dead has no sense of taste. Set a banquet before him, and he does not enjoy it. Likewise, a sinner tastes no sweetness in Christ or in a promise. They are as sweet and effective as medicine in a dead man's mouth. The dead rot, and if Martha said of Lazarus, Lord, by this time there will be a stench, for he has been dead four days. John 11, verse 39. How much more may we say of a wicked man who has been dead in sin for thirty or forty years? By this time there will be a stench. 20. Sin without repentance tends to final damnation. 
As the rose dies because of the decay that breeds inside it, so men die by the corruptions that breed in their souls. What was once said to the Greeks of the Trojan horse, This engine is made to be the destruction of your city. The same may be said to every unrepentant person. This engine of sin will be the destruction of your soul. Sin's final scene is always tragic. Diagoras Florentinus wanted to drink poison for amusement, but it cost him his life. Men drink the poison of sin for entertainment, but it costs them their souls. The wages of sin is death, Romans 6, verse 23. What Solomon said of wine may also be said of sin. At first it sparkles in the cup. In the end it bites like a snake and stings like a viper. Proverbs 23, verses 31 and 32. Christ tells us of the worm and the fire, Mark 9, verse 48. Sin is like oil, and God's wrath is like fire. As long as the damned continue sinning, so the fire will continue burning. And who among us can live with everlasting burning? Isaiah 33, verse 14. But men question the truth of this, and are like ungodly Devonax, who, being threatened with hell for his evil conduct, mocked it and said, I will believe there is a hell when I get there, and not before. We cannot make hell enter into men until they enter into hell. So we have seen the deadly evil in sin which, when seriously considered, should make us repent and turn to God. If, after all this, Men will continue in sin and are set on a voyage to hell. Who can help it? They have been told what a soul-damning rock sin is, but if they will voluntarily run up against it and split themselves, their blood be upon their own head. Second, seriously consider the mercies of God. A heart of stone is most easily broken upon the soft pillow of God's mercies. The kindness of God leads you to repentance, Romans 2, verse 4. The clemency of a prince can bring a criminal to surrender. While God has been storming others with his judgments, he has been wooing you with his mercies. 1. What rescuing mercies have we received? What mistakes have been prevented? What fears blown over? When our foot has been slipping, God's mercy has held us up. Psalm 94, verse 18. Mercy has always been a barrier between us and danger. When enemies, like lions, have risen up against us to devour us, free grace has snatched us out of the mouth of these lions. In the deepest waves, the arm of mercy has reached under and has kept our head above water. Will this rescuing mercy not lead us to repentance? Number two, what real and tangible mercies have we received? First, in supplying our needs, God has been a bountiful benefactor. The God who has been my shepherd all my life to this day. Genesis 48, verse 15. Who would spread out a banqueting table for his enemy? We have been enemies, yet God has fed us. He has given us the horn of oil. He has made the honeycomb of mercy drip on us. God has been as kind to us 
as if we had been his best servants? And will this supplying mercy not lead us to repentance? Second, in the mercy of deliverance, when we have been at the gates of the grave, God has miraculously turned our lives around. He has turned the shadow of death into mourning and has put a song of deliverance into our mouth. And will this delivering mercy not lead us to repentance? The Lord has worked to break our hearts with His mercies. In Judges chapter 2 we read that when the angel, which was a prophet, had preached a sermon of mercy, the people raised their voices and wept. Verse 4. If anything can bring tears, it should be the mercy of God. We would have to be very obstinate sinners for these great cable ropes of God's mercy not to draw us to repentance. Third, consider God's painful providence and see if our hearts will not be purified when put over the refiner's fire. In recent years, God has sent us to the school of the cross. He has twisted his judgments together. He has made good on those two threats. I am like a moth to Ephraim. Hosea 5 verse 12. Has God not been like a devouring moth to England in the decay of trading? And I will be a lion to Ephraim. Hosea 5 verse 14. Has he not been like a lion to England in the devouring plague? And all the while God has waited for our repentance. But we have gone on in sin. I have listened and heard. No one repented of his wickedness, saying, What have I done? Jeremiah 8 verse 6. And lately God has been whipping us with a fiery rod in the form of those tremendous flames in this city, which are emblematic of the great fire at the last day, when the elements will be destroyed with intense heat. 2 Peter 3, verse 10. When Joab's field was on fire, he went running to Absalom. 2 Samuel 14, verse 31. God has set our houses on fire so that we will run to him in repentance. The Lord's voice crieth unto the city, Hear ye the rod, and who hath appointed it? Micah 6, verse 9, KJV. This is the language of the rod of discipline with the goal that we will humble ourselves under God's mighty hand and wipe away our sin by doing righteousness. Daniel 4, verse 27. Manasseh's affliction ushered in repentance. 2 Chronicles 33, verse 12. God uses affliction as a prod to try to direct a sinner to a safe path. Their mother has committed prostitution. Hosea 2, verse 5 by idolatry. What course will God take with her now? Therefore, behold, I will obstruct her way with thorns. Hosea 2, verse 6. This is God's method, to set a thorn hedge of affliction in the way. So, to a proud man, ridicule is a thorn. To a lustful man, sickness is a thorn. Both to stop him in his sin and to prick him forward in repentance. The Lord teaches his people as Gideon taught the men of Succoth. Then he took the elders of the city and thorns of the wilderness and briars, and he disciplined the men of Succoth with them. Judges 8, verse 16. Here was a painful lesson. 
Likewise, lately God has been teaching us humiliation through thorny providences. He has torn our golden fleece from us. He has humbled us in our circumstances so that He might humble our hearts. When will we dissolve into tears, if not now? God's judgments are such a right way to work repentance that the Lord wonders and complains that His severity did not turn people from their sins. I withheld the rain from you, Amos 4, verse 7. I struck you with scorching wind and mildew, Amos 4, verse 9. I sent a plague among you, Amos 4, 10. Yet, God complains, you have not returned to me, verse 10. The Lord proceeds gradually in His judgments. First, He sends a lesser cross, and if that will not do, then He sends a greater one. He sends someone a mild cold to begin with, and later a burning fever. He sends to another a loss at sea, then the loss of a child, then of a husband. In this way, by degrees, He tries to bring people to repentance. Sometimes God sends His judgments on a circuit, from family to family. The cup of affliction has gone around this nation. All have tasted it. And if we have not repented by now, we stand in contempt of God. And by implication, we invite God to do His worst. Such a pinnacle of wickedness will certainly not be pardoned. Therefore on that day the Lord God of armies called you to weeping, to wailing. Instead, there is joy and jubilation. But the Lord of armies revealed himself to me. Certainly this wrongdoing will not be forgiven you until you die. Isaiah 22, verses 12 through 14. That is, this sin will not be atoned for by sacrifice. The Romans severely punished a young man who, in a time of public disaster, was seen playing in a window with a crown of roses on his head. What about those who strengthen themselves in wickedness and laugh in the very face of God's judgments? Do they not deserve an even more painful punishment? The heathen sailors in a storm repented. Jonah 1, verse 14. Not to repent and throw our sins overboard now is to be worse than heathens. Fourth, let us consider how much we will have to answer for in the end if we do not repent. How many prayers, exhortations, and admonitions will be held against us? Every sermon will count as an indictment. As for those who have truly repented, Christ will answer for them. His blood will wash away their sins. The mantle of free grace will cover them. At that time, declares the Lord, search will be made for the wrongdoing of Israel, but there will be none, and for the sins of Judah, but they will not be found. Jeremiah 50, verse 20. Those who have judged themselves in the lower court of conscience will be acquitted in the high court of heaven. But if we do not repent, our sins must be all accounted for on the last day, and we must answer for them ourselves, with no counsel allowed to plead for us. O oh, unrepentant sinner, think to yourself now how you will be able to look your judge in the face. You have a hopeless cause to plead and are sure to be convicted. What then could I do when God arises?
and when he calls me to account, how am I to answer him? Job 31, verse 14. So either repent now or provide your answers, and see what defense you can make for yourselves when you come before God's tribunal. But when God rises up, how will you answer him?